Alright. <clears throat> well, here we are in the afternoon. We want to certainly thank you once again for joining us online. If you hadn't uh, gotten right in when we started, we started a little bit earlier than we sometimes do, but welcome once again. Open your Bibles, if you would, once again, as we continue our study this afternoon in Mark chapter number 13. Mark chapter 13. <clears throat> as we move into this next section of text, we'll notice, or we'll see here, I think a notable change in the interactions that are taking place. What do I mean by that? Well, while Jesus was in the Jerusalem temple, he was evidently surrounded by many people of all different backgrounds and occupations. We know the Bible tells us that the scribes, the chief priests, the elders were there, the disciples were there. There's a bunch of people there of all different sorts. Now, we saw last week the broad scope of the, well, let's call them rather broad topical questions that were being asked of the Lord as he walked in the temple. Then, it seems, as we saw, that when Jesus went out of the temple, the conversation became a little more focused toward his disciples that were with him. As he went out, one of his disciples asked him a question. But in today's text, as we get into it in just a moment, we will see that there is opportunities now for a much more personal rather than large group interaction. Now I believe anyone who has ever been in a teaching role of some sort would be in agreement that when the, call it the, the student group, those who are there to hear, when that student group is large and vastly diverse, there's a challenge. There's a challenge to teaching in such a way that addresses individual understandings. You can't get very deep on any particular subject. Topical matters can certainly be addressed and they can be taught, whatever the subject may be, and good learning can come from that. Yet that teaching style has to be much more general in nature and as I said, the depth of teaching points can only go so far because of the diversity of the group. Yet when there is a smaller group of folks, the teaching can be much more pointed and it can better address individual nuances, if you will, of the subject matter. I believe that's what we find here today. Many times, the learning in such a smaller group can be much more profound because the answers to the questions that may be asked can be much more tailored to provide fuller insight to the applicability of the answer for those to whom it is given. When you have a large group, the answer has to be general enough that the large group, by and large, will understand the answer. If you start digging into some of the nuances, if you may understand the depth of the question, you start getting into some of the nuances and, and some of the, the finer points of an answer, there's a whole group of folks in that, in that audience that be just like, I, I don't know what they're talking about now. And you lose them. But in a smaller group, 
you can generally focus the answer much more closely. So let's read our text today. And I confess, if I have confused you already, that's okay. We're just going to pray and trust that the Holy Spirit will make up for my lack of clarity, and he'll make sense of this to us as we see it unfold in the Scriptures. Let's take a look at our text. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse number 3, reading through verse number 13 today. The Bible here says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, that is Jesus, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given to you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Verse 12 says, Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now where we stop here today in the text is certainly not the end of Jesus' response to these four very close disciples become apostles. And I believe that we'll see over the next several messages that Jesus does, in fact, address a number of specifics as he answers the questions. Because we know, I am sure that you know, that a simple question can certainly be all but simple to fully address. For today, I want to look at two main thoughts. Though the, the second thought may actually have several components, which well, they might lead into next week as well. In fact, I think we probably are looking at a several-part message over this chapter because this, the bulk of this chapter is Jesus' response to this question. The first point that we'll look at today is a private audience with Christ. A private audience with Christ. And secondly today, a pointed, purposed response. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we look to your word today, God, we would ask, yea, we would even beg and plead with you that the Holy Spirit of God would fill each and every one of us today, for there is no possibility that we in our feeble heart and mind's state could be able to comprehend 
all that you have stated here in this text without that the Holy Spirit gives us that understanding. Father, I'd ask that, Lord, your will be accomplished here today. Lord, I am not a scholar. I don't have all the answers, but you do. And so, Father, won't you guide and direct as we look to your message today. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those that are taking notes or might be taking notes, I've titled today's message, A Private Conversation. A private conversation. And then our first verse, our first point, of course, is a private audience with Christ. Verse 3 tells us and gives us here the, the very personal setting that we have. Verse 3 says, And as Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew, here it is, asked him privately. Now, it's interesting because there certainly would have been others around because wherever Jesus went, there were, well, generally multitudes. But there on the side of the Mount of Olives, there's an opportunity. These four were able to come to Jesus privately to inquire about the things that he had just stating, stated regarding the destruction of the temple. Remember back in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, As he went out of the temple, one of the disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. They marveled. And what was Jesus' response? Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be one, uh, shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He was talking about the destruction of that great, that grand, that glorious, that supremely well-built building. And yet the building itself is nothing. What's in the building, as we saw last week, is where all of the value is. Now, this, this would have been a major concern, this, this destruction of this temple. would have been a major concern as this temple was really the epitome, I think, of what Jerusalem meant to so many people. When you think of Jerusalem, you think of the temple. It was the, 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 the main place in that whole city of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus chose to place his name there. That's where God said, this is my house. So that was the main, I hate to use the word attraction, but that was the main point that people would look to. So the destruction of this temple, for Jesus to say that there's not going to be one stone left that won't be thrown down, that's a major concern. Now we know that Peter and James and John, well, they were the closest of the apostles to Jesus. Of all the disciples and all of the apostles, they were the closest, they were the, 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 the closest held to his affections, I suppose, as it were. And, and then, of course, Andrew was there, but Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. And so he was there as part of that group this time in this text. Now, perhaps, after hearing Jesus' proclamation about the destruction of the temple, they wondered. They wondered if, 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 if they, as, as being confidant with Jesus, they were the closest ones to him, if they might have some special anointing that, that maybe Jesus would give them some special insight. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, tell us. See, they went to him privately and they asked him this question. They said, tell us. When shall these things be? But take note, if you will, that they did not go asking what others might have thought about what Jesus said. 
There's nothing that tells us that they thought about it, they wanted about it, they went, what do you think? What do you think he just meant by that? Hey, what do you, what do you, they didn't go surveying the crowd. What do you think of what Jesus just said about the temple? They didn't do any of that. Take note that they went to Jesus directly and privately. Said, um, this is a problem, Jesus. Tell us when are these things going to happen? What is the sign, they said, when all of these things will take place? And I think that this is a wonderful picture of what we as believers in Christ should do when we have certain concerns and questions. Ought we to go and survey the whole congregation that we're a part of and say, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, you on the street, hey, neighbor, what do you think about this? I don't think we ought to be doing that. The Bible tells us that we ought to go to the Lord. Amen. It's a wonderful picture. What should we do when we have certain concerns and questions, especially when those concerns or questions are about spiritual matters and about what God has said on any given topic. They went privately to the very source of truth. Ought we also be well served to take our concerns to the Lord? Yes, indeed. Go privately. Have that private audience with Christ. Perhaps we know one or two others whose godly counsel we do value. We'll note from the text that there were four of the apostles here. It wasn't each one of them individually going, but there were four. And these four, I believe, were probably the most mature as they were the closest to Jesus. Perhaps we know one or two others whose godly counsel we do value. But even then, God tells us to cast all our care, that's all our concern, that's all of our questions, that's all of our worry, cast our care on him. For he careth for us unlike anyone else can. And God tells us to read and to study his word and to gain the wisdom and the understanding which comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit living within us. He will guide you into all truth, the Bible tells us. In fact, even Job tells us if we were to read through Job and we were to come down to Job chapter 32 and verse number 8, Job tells us there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him understanding. You see, it is God that we ought to go to privately when we have such concerns over spiritual matters. Well, God doesn't sit beside me in the chair. Well, no. Maybe you do need to have a little bit of godly counsel, but even then, the best place to find the answers for all of our spiritual matters, be it our faith or perhaps the incompleteness of our faith or maybe our Christian walk or how to handle everyday life in this lost world, take it to a private audience with Christ. Even if we seek counsel or advice from another faithful believer, don't just take their advice without bringing even that before the Lord. Better yet, do as these four did. Go together directly to the Lord for a private audience. For an answer that you can both understand. And that you can hold each other in a very positive way accountable to not 
twist the words that we got as our answer. Which brings us to Jesus' response, a very pointed, purposed response. In response to this question, now the question seems to be simple. The question was, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? What's all these things that he's talking about? Well, Jesus had just mentioned the destruction of the temple. But as Jesus knows the very thoughts and the intent of our hearts, he knows that there was a whole lot more concern wrapped up in that simple little question. Jesus had been talking about when he goes back to heaven, and he's been talking about how the world is going to react to Christians, and, and we'll see that later on in this chapter as well, but Jesus has been talking about a whole bunch of things that are going to be happening. And so these apostles said, what should be the sign when all these things shall be? The very first thing, the primary response, the most important thing, if you will, that Jesus tells these four men is to be very diligent and watchful. What did he say? Look at verse 5. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. That doesn't answer my question. Oh, but it's the basis on which Jesus will answer the question. Take heed, be very diligent, be very watchful that any man doesn't deceive you. Christian, we don't have to look very far to find the exact evidence of what Jesus is saying here. When it comes to the things that Jesus has taught or the things that God spoke through his prophets, just go to, go to any bookstore, if you will. Go online, if you will, and see how many different so-called translations of the word of God there are. If you really want an eye-opener, for just a few moments... Take three or four of these different versions and look up several of the same passages in each of these versions and see how different they are. Jesus said in verse 6 of our text, he says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Friends, that very thought was what drove Lucifer out of heaven. Did you, did you realize that? Lucifer said, I will be like the Most High. And in those earliest days, way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, Lucifer, Satan, came to Eve and in essence said, you know, I know what God said. And I know what God meant. And you will not surely die. In essence, he's saying, look, I know what God meant. Verse 6 here says, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. I know what he meant. You're not going to die. Go ahead. Look how good the fruit looks. Go ahead. Think for yourselves. Don't just blindly follow this God. You're intelligent. You make your own decisions and your own choices. Boy. Oh, I tell you. 
Satan says, I know what God meant. You will not surely die. Look at how desirable this forbidden fruit is. So Jesus, his first exhortation to the disciples, to the apostles in this question that they asked, his very first exhortation was to take heed so that you don't listen to any other deceptive voice. Don't listen to any other voice that will lead you astray from the mission that I gave you. John chapter 10 tells us in verse number 4, When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus said, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. Do you and I know the voice of God? And our Savior? Can we hear something being said that God said? Can we hear that from God's lips through the Word of God? We can. We can know the voice of God. We can know the voice of our Savior. It's right here. <laughs> in black and white and red sometimes. It's right here in the Word of God. Secondly, in this pointed and purposed response. Secondly, Jesus tells these four disciples, first he says, take heed lest any man deceive you. Secondly, he says, in essence, don't be fooled into unwarranted worry. Don't be fooled into worrying about things that you hear. Look what the Bible tells us here in verses 7 and 8. Jesus speaking says, And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are not the end. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Take heed. Be Ye not troubled, Jesus said. Jerusalem would indeed be facing some perilous and treacherous times in the near future of this account. And the temple would, in fact, be destroyed, just as Jesus said. But I think three phrases in these two verses show us that there would be much more to come after that. But Jesus still has a purpose and a mission for his disciples. The first phrase, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. Don't be worried. Don't be worried about it. Don't let anybody cause you all kind of consternation and get your angst up. And don't worry because God the Father has this under control. A whole lot more is coming, but don't be worried. Secondly, he says, the end shall not be yet. Thirdly, he said, these are the beginnings of sorrows. Let me say that with all that is happening in our world today, with what's going on in the Mideast between Israel and Palestine and all of the things that are going on in the world, this text should be a comfort to us as well. Because we are the redeemed. We are blood-bought by Jesus Christ. Jesus has promised us that we would not be partakers of the wrath that God will pour out on this world. We don't need to worry about that. Many times we're given the same exhortation throughout Scripture to be ye not troubled. 
What do I mean by that? Well, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34. Matthew 6, 34 says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Huh. Why? Well, the verse goes on and says, For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. You need to worry about what's right now. How are you and I obeying our God right now? Tomorrow is another day. If tomorrow comes, then we'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. Jesus says, don't worry about that. Take no thought for tomorrow. Right now, we have evil that we have to deal with. Some of that comes from our own flesh. Right now, we have a flesh to contend with. Right now, we have a society that we must be an example to, a witness of Christ to. Right now, don't worry about what's happening later on. That's Matthew 6.34. In Luke chapter 10, we all know the account. Jesus came to eat dinner with Mary and Martha. You remember that account? You remember what happened there? Oh, Martha, she was so cumbered about much. Oh, she was just busy. The, the house was a mess. The dishes are in the sink. Oh, she's just going everywhere, going crazy. And Jesus is in the other room, and where does Mary go? <laughs> Mary goes and sits down at Jesus' feet. Martha, she is just worried about what in the world, how is this going to look, and I, I'm, I'm not ready, and, and what am I going to do? We know the account. What did Jesus say? Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Where was Mary? In the midst of all the clamor, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Where are we? In the midst of the clamor that is all around us right now, we're sitting in church at the feet of Jesus. Praise God for that. Where's the 18-inch occupiers of all of the rest of the empty ones, empty pews? They're out there clamoring. I don't know. Maybe they're at home. Praise God that you're at home watching. Maybe they're in another church someplace. Maybe. By and large, they're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. They're cumbered about with much trouble and worry and angst. Jesus said, that's not the way we should be. He said, Mary has chosen the better part, the good part, and that shall not be taken away. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Again, the Bible tells us, be careful for nothing. In other words, be anxious, be worried, be all uptight about nothing, Jesus said. But in everything, in every bit of clamor and turmoil and, and, and tumult that might be around, in everything, Jesus says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Paul writes it through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Have a private audience with God. Now sometimes I find it's an interesting response that we tend to have that we want to believe folks that are the most passionate about something they are saying. When, the, when they pour so much energy and excitement into what they're saying, the more we want to believe it with them. 
Why do you think they get a guy that's bubbly and effervescent and says, look at what this OxyClean will do for you? They don't get the guy that says, yeah, I washed my clothes with OxyClean and it was great. <laughs> we want to believe the ones that are most passionate and most energetic and most excited about what they're saying. Jesus said, take heed lest any man deceive you. So if what the other person is passionately saying is in full agreement with all of this counsel of Scripture, then oh, by all means, get energetic, get passionate about it, believe it right along with them. But if what they're saying does not fully agree with God's Word, the Bible tells us that we are to try the spirits, whether they be of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's in 1 John chapter 4. So Jesus says in our text, When ye shall hear of the word, all these things, when ye shall hear of all these things, he says, be ye not troubled. Don't fall into the temptation of worrying pointlessly about things that you hear. Now, if, if you do have a real concern that you are facing don't worry over it because I, I don't want anybody to say that when I say don't fall into the temptation of worrying pointlessly, oh, does that mean that there is a pointed worry that we can be in? No. When we are facing something that's very concerning to us, don't worry over it. Pray over it. The Bible says in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. There's a little song, a little chorus that we sing sometimes. Why worry when we can pray? And then Jesus goes on in our text. He goes on in verse 9 and he says, But take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. Because it comes to the third thing here. Under this idea of appointed and purpose response. Thirdly, Jesus exhorts the disciples. Uh, by the way, anyone here not a disciple? You know what a disciple is? A disciple is one who learns from or at least professes to learn from someone else. That's us. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. So Jesus exhorts his disciples and he says, in essence, don't become obsessed with the signs of the times that you see. Well, I don't read that in that passage. That's what Jesus is saying, in essence. Don't become obsessed with the things that you see. That's what he said, be ye not troubled. Don't become obsessed with the signs or the sorrows that you will inevitably face. Look with me in verses 9 and 10. He says again, but take heed to yourselves. Be very diligent, he says. For they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogues ye shall be beaten. And ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Indeed, the disciples, the apostles, believers in Christ, all did suffer some horrific sorrows because they claimed the name of Christ. It happened in their day. And friends, it's happening today in parts of the world all over. It's happening in many parts of the world. It could be happening very soon, even here. Our neighbors to the north, Canada, are already imprisoning folks when they start talking about what God says about certain topics. Uh, you can't say that, you're going to jail. 
What about freedom of speech? That's done in America. You're not there. Those kinds of persecutions are coming, friends. While it sounds horrible, we must know that Jesus, as Jesus told the apostles, such things must needs be. We must know that such things must needs be for us as well. And we are given the insight and the charge. We are told that we are to study the scriptures. We're told, we're given the charge that we are to know what the scriptures say will come to be. But the purpose of us knowing what's going to happen, the purpose of us knowing the signs of the times is not for us to be looking to figure out when the rapture will occur or if we are in the days just prior to it. That's not what the signs of the time are for. Some have foolishly said that because of this, 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 and this, I can line it all up and Jesus is coming back that day. The Bible tells us that no one, not the angels in heaven, not even the Son of God, knows what time Jesus will come back for the rapture. But the Father alone knows. Verse 11 gives us our marching orders, as it were. Verse 11 says, But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now what is that all talking about? Jesus was not telling them what was going to happen so that they could prepare some kind of a justification or eloquent speech or some craftily worded response when they came time to report to the government. He wasn't telling them so that they could prepare for that. When that time came, theirs was simply to trust God. Because at that moment, God would give them through the Holy Spirit what it was that they should respond with. Jesus goes on then in verses 12 and 13, look at what he says. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You see, Jesus was showing the apostles what manner of evil will surround them in the world, and just how bad it will get. Folks, that's starting to happen. Brother turning against brother unto death. Killing each other. Children having their parents put to death. Fathers and sons being at odds. And, and boy, it's some evil happening. But we are not to look at all the signs of the times so that we can try to come up with some craftily worded response and explain it to anyone. Jesus said at the end of verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. This phrase, he that shall endure, literally means that he that shall remain faithful to God and will bear the trials without wavering and giving up, Jesus says, that one shall be saved. That is what they shall, uh, that is, that they shall be preserved. They'll be protected. They'll be delivered. Not to say that there won't be some suffering. Jesus clearly said that there would be. But there is an eternal peace and a joy and a blessedness coming 
We will be delivered. We will be protected as long as we are faithful to God and the mission that he has given us. What is that mission? What's the message for us from this text? Clearly, we must also be very diligent so that we're not deceived by what we may hear or see around us. God has not given us to worry, but we are to be aware as he has recorded these things for us. Why did he record them for us? Not so that we can urge people to get saved by a certain date or because of a certain trigger event. Oh, Jesus is coming back. Get saved right now. That's not why he gave us these signs. We are not to be obsessed with trying to understand the signs of the times. What was the mission for the apostles? Go and preach the word. Go and preach that people repent of their sins against God. What did Paul tell us that we ought to preach? Not the end time signs. Paul said, I preach nothing but the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we may be saved. He is the only means by which we can be saved. We are to know what the scriptures say regarding the signs of the times, yes. Why? Well, Hebrews 10.25 says that it is so that we can see the day approaching. But what else does it say that we are to do? Turn to Hebrews 10 as we close today. Let's just take a look. I know that you know these scriptures, but turn there anyway. I'll see it right out of God's word. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse number 22. The Bible says here, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Why did God show us the signs of the times? Why did God preserve what may be happening or what will be happening before Jesus comes in the rapture? So that as we see the day approaching, we can be more faithful to God and the mission that he has given us to go and preach Jesus Christ. Preach salvation by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Don't preach, he's coming again, you better get saved right now. Because that doesn't mean anything to anybody. The unsaved out here, they have no idea what it means, this rapture thing. They have no idea what the end time signs might mean. All they see is war in Israel. All they see is war in Ukraine. All they see is horrible things all around the world. What kind of a loving God could that possibly describe? Well, that doesn't describe a loving God. That describes the evil that's in the world. And God has the answer for that. What is our exhortation? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, not signs of the times. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you, with meekness and fear. Be ready to give an answer for our hope. Friends, listen. What do people see in you and me? Do they see a lively hope that is in us? That we're going to go and live one day forever with Jesus Christ in heaven? Or do they see us just trying to figure out who the Antichrist is? Do they see us trying to figure out when will the rapture occur? Oh no, what's going to happen? Is this the end of times? Oh no. 
Where do they see us? It doesn't matter what time it is because I'm going to heaven. I can take you with me. Here's how you can go to heaven. Here's how you can be saved. Here's how you can enjoy eternity with God in heaven. Don't worry about the end times. Let the hope shine through. And keep the rest, keep the worry, keep the questions for your private conversation with God. Amen? Pastor, would you close? Well, I don't know that we can add anything to what he just said. Amen? What a day and age to be alive. Yes. Woo. To know that we could be the generation that actually sees the rapture before the grave. Amen. What a blessing that'll be. Amen? So I guess the only thing I can ask is, are you ready? When I was about 16, we had uh, went to a Christian camp up in the Poconos. It was a camp that was developed by Percy Crawford. Uh, Percy Crawford was a lot like Jack, Her um, yeah, Jack Wurtson from Schoon Lake. They were both big band leaders in their day. And they were prominent. They weren't just off the wall local community. They were, they were pretty well nationally known. But they got saved. And, ja and uh, Percy Crawford bought property up in the Poconos and put camps up there for Christians to attend. And Jack Wurtson did the same in the Poconos with, um, with uh, I should say, uh, North Country with um, Schoon Lake. But uh, at the age of 16, there was a song they sang up there. It was a chorus, Have You Got Your Ticket? Have You Got Your Ticket for the Heaven Train? I've never heard that chorus sung anybody else but that place. So uh, if we can ever find it, it'd be kind of cool uh, to be able to sing it, just add it to our little repertoire of uh, choruses and songs from time to time. But the question is, do you have your ticket? And Jesus Christ is the only ticket that'll get you through the gates. Amen? Let's make sure that we get it straightened out. If you haven't got it straightened out, see myself, see my wife after the service. We'd be glad to talk with you. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. And Lord, how precious are the, are, are the messages that we receive in the Gospels. Lord, we feel, and I know we can't always go by feelings, Lord, but there is that, that awesome realization that we may be the generation that witnesses the coming. And Lord, we want to be ready. But we want others to be ready as well. So, Lord, you guide, you direct as we go about in our daily walk that our lives will exude the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And, Father, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for the work that you are doing and continue to do in and through us. Now, Father, dismiss us again. We pray with your blessings today. Give travel and mercies. Give a good rest as we get ready and prepare to come together again in the middle of the week. We pray now these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, uh, Allison will be coming home on Tuesday. Eric has surgery on Wednesday. Jack has to be in church Sunday. <laughs> but let's pray. Let's, let's keep each other on that prayer list and continue to lift them up before the Lord. Amen. Amen. We are the ones who should care the most about them. And therefore, we are the ones who should be praying the most for them. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, sir.